Well, greetings to everyone in Jesus' name this morning. It is good to be in the house of God. Thinking especially of those who are not able to be here. It's just a reminder that our life is uh, to be spent for God. We know not from day to day what lies in store for us, but we trust in the living God. Okay, this morning for a message, we're continuing our study in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. This is the account of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I would say that probably even the children would be able to tell us this morning what happened in the story. Young and old, we've heard this story probably since childhood. It is a story of a miracle that happened in that day. And here we are, these thousands of years later, and we still hear that story because it was recorded in the scripture. This is in the book of Daniel, which as I said before, is a book that prophesies what would happen in the end times. It is one of the primary things in the book, but it is also an account of how to live in the end times. We're going to see that again in the story today. And we will be looking at this account. I will read the the chapter here. And there are certain principles that it demonstrates which are explained to us in the New Testament. I believe it's, it's a story that should inspire us today. Our theme verse, as we go through this study in the book of Daniel, is found in chapter 11, verse 32, in the latter half. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now the account of these three men was the account of men who knew God, and they were strong. And they did exploits. Now before we go into this, I will read again a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11. And I may have read this or referred to it in prior messages, but just to fix it in our mind here, Hebrews chapter 11, where it lists many of the people of faith. And then uh, he ran out of time to be able to list them all. So he summarized some of the things they did. And he says that through faith they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Oh, we know that story. That was Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Oh, we know that story too. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. Well, we had that in the prior message where these, the king had sent a decree that the wise men should tell him what the dream was, and when they couldn't, he said they should all be killed with the sword. And then Daniel asked for some time. He sought the Lord, got the answer. So three times here, three in a row, he talks about things that come straight out of the book of Daniel. These were men of faith. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and so on. And then he says, in verse 36, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, 
were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should, be, should not be made perfect. Now I would note that he says specifically in verse 37 that some were slain with the sword. But in a prior verse, in verse 34, there were those of faith who escaped the edge of the sword. And that speaks to a, a paradox in that how is it that some escaped the edge of the sword and others perished with the edge of the sword? But note what he says, these all, having obtained a good report. And so, what I want us to keep kind of in the back of our mind is that whether you are slain with the sword or whether you escape the edge of the sword, that's not the foremost issue. The foremost issue is that you glorify God and obtain a good report through faith. The three men we're studying about today, they saw that clearly. And they even spoke it by saying, whether or not God delivers us, they had said it's not a matter of whether he can, he certainly can, but whether he not whether or not he does, we will not bow down and worship. So let's read in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, Come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Wherefore, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's an amazing account. Now what lessons would we draw from this for today? I would like first of all to make the comparison to the end times. 
I'd like for you to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 13. And verse 11 through 15. Now we're breaking into the middle of a vision, a portion of the vision that Daniel had. He had a vision about a beast that rose up out of the sea. This beast having seven heads and ten horns. And then he saw... Another beast, in verse 11, he says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We'll stop reading there. I would venture to guess that this passage we just read uh, has influenced Christians uh, to dread and fear the end time more than any other passage. It speaks here that all will be required to worship this beast, and if any does not worship, they should be killed. And then it talks about the mark of the beast that no one should buy or sell. It's a pretty dire picture of the end times. But I'd like to note how closely this parallels the story that we're looking at in Daniel. It says here in Revelation that he made an image of the beast and caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now that is exactly the situation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. From the account here in Daniel, it seems this event particularly applied to all the the rulers, the governors, the counselors, the judges, and all those in positions of direction or authority from all the provinces, it says, were to come to the dedication of this image. We don't read necessarily that it extended to every soul in the kingdom. It may have eventually gone there, I don't know, but in this account, it was very clear that they either bowed to worship as commanded or perished. They weren't given option C. There was just A, and if you didn't choose A, then you automatically chose B, which was death. So, I don't understand all of the implications or how it will work out in Revelation chapter uh, 11, about an image made of the beast and that all should worship or be killed. And I'm not sure that there's any Christian that can just explain to you exactly how that's going to be. But just know this, that when it comes, 
It's no different than what happened 2,500 or more years ago when these three men stood before the king and said, we don't know whether God will deliver us, but know this, we will not bow down and worship your God. What kind of scripture did these three men have? Well, they had the law, they had the Psalms, uh, they may have had some of the prophets, they perhaps would have heard some of the preaching of Jeremiah, potentially they could have. They didn't have any New Testament scriptures, of course that was all yet in the future. They didn't have the Spirit of God uh, always resident with them. I do believe the Spirit of God was with them, but not indwelling in the sense that we have the Spirit of God today. But they did have the law, and in the law it said very clearly, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to any graven image. And so, that was the settled rock upon which they stood. They knew God, they knew the will of God, and they said, here we are. And I'm putting it in my words, but they said, we will not bow down to your image. Now, if you want to fast forward to the end of time, you can purpose now that whatever you face in regard to that prophecy of the end time about the image of the beast and that you may not buy or sell um, except you take this mark, God has said very clearly that you shall not take that mark and that you will not bow down to that image as commanded. So that means you automatically have chosen option B, which is to be put to death. I'm not sure that these three men expected to be faced with this kind of a test. They had already attained some position. They had already gone through former tests. We had that in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And now here they are hit again with this ultimatum. Either you bow down and do as we say or else you will be cast into the fiery furnace. Okay, what is the next point we can draw from this? I would call your attention to verse 8. It says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Now the Jews were a large group of people who had been carried away captive into Babylon. These three men were only representatives of that group, the Jews. And Later they said in verse 12, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province. So in this account, the Jews were the people of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the parallel for us today is that we, as children of God, represent the people of God, or as we are commonly known, Christians. Now, we all know that word Christian has a lot of baggage. There's many who call themselves Christian who are not Christian in reality. They may have a profession of faith but deny the power thereof, and there's quite a, you know, the scripture is very clear that there are those who will depart from the faith. But nevertheless, we are Christian because we believe 
in Christ, the living God. So these men were part of that group. They were called Jews. We today belong to Christians. And I would just like to emphasize that what we do and the choices we make in life don't only affect ourselves, but they represent what the people of God do. Now that could be for good or ill, but we should fix it in our minds that the positions we take are a representation of what we believe a Christian should do. And we get to represent Christians or Christ to the world. In this case, they had quite an audience. An audience that was not on their side. And so when they came near and accused the Jews, these men were immediately despised. It doesn't go into great detail, but we can assume that if all the others bowed down and these three didn't, they were not lauded as heroes. These men came and accused these three to the king and sought to have the judgment brought upon their heads because they didn't obey the king, didn't honor him. Note what the charge was. They said, These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So this wasn't a personal affront to the king. It was a dishonor in, in the minds of these accusers. They saw these people, and, and in particular these three representatives, as, as those who should be punished and banished from society. They would have, most likely most of them, most of the onlookers here, would have thought them worthy of what they were about to receive. That they should just be cast into the fire. Get them out of our society. Now there are parts in the world where God's children live where that is the common sentiment in the population. Get rid of these people. They are not worthy to live. We today are living in a land where it's mostly tolerated. And it's fast changing. We might come to the place where many others of God's people are today, where it's no longer tolerated. And society says, these people are not fit to live. Get rid of them. But these three had a confidence because they knew God. And because they knew God, they were able to be strong. In this moment of extreme test, they were strong. And they were able to stand. So they come before the king. Excuse me a moment. I don't see any water here. Could someone bring me a cup of water? Okay, thank you. So there was the command to worship. They disregarded it. They did not bow down. These accusers brought them before the king and made the accusation linked them with the Jews. And, and I don't think that it was a secret, probably to any of those present, who, the, who these men were as relates to their ethnic background and, and the people they belonged to. Because note, the commandment was to all people, nations, and languages. So we can assume there were variations. And just like today, we can see that in our society. There are people of other nations and languages, and it's not hard in many cases to distinguish. We, we might not always know precisely, but 
I don't think it was much different in that time. They knew that these people, they're from a different country and a language, and they have different gods, and probably in the minds of many it was just a competition between gods. And Nebuchadnezzar, being the king, of course, could command them which one they should serve, and, and he even after being defied by them, as, as he perceived it. He said, what? And who is that God that can deliver you out of my hand? Well, here's what they answered. They said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, what were they actually saying? We are not quite so uh, used to that word careful used in this context. What did they mean? We are not careful to answer thee. Well, there, was, there are several things. One is, I don't think they were overly anxious. They had some confidence. They were not just casual. As I looked up the definition of the word in its original, it had the idea of not hasty. They are not hasty. So what I take from it is that they had a settled belief that they knew what sort of answer they would need to give. Now in the New Testament... Jesus specifically said in Matthew 10, verse 19, he was talking to his disciples, he said, But when they shall deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. That was Jesus' specific words to his disciples. And I believe the thought that Jesus was conveying there was exactly what these three men practiced. We are not careful, they're not anxious, nor are they hasty in giving this response. It had been thought out beforehand. Not necessarily the specific words, but the principle and the reason upon which they stood. And that's how we should live. We should live not necessarily in anxiety about the exact words that we'll say when we're called upon, but rather we are established upon the principles and the reasons on which we stand and why we would answer the way we would. So they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now that statement was very remarkable. He, God, will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, how could that be true? When they said just prior that, that God is able to deliver, but if not, or, well, I guess that, that, that was in the middle of their statement, he will deliver us out of thine hand, because they knew of a surety that whether they lived or whether they died, God was going to deliver them out of the hand of the king. And that brings us to the very heart of how these men lived. We're going to see it later on even in Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. But in Romans chapter 14, verse 8, we read this, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. That is how these men lived. 
Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that takes us back to what we read earlier in Hebrews 11. Some were slain by the sword. Others escaped the edge of the sword. But these all died in faith. And they died with a testimony. Now the, the passage there in Romans 14 and verse 8 if you look it up, it's not um, in the context of facing a life or death situation. But it's simply saying that is how we should live. That's the principle we should guide our lives by. That whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Okay, verse 18, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, that made Nebuchadnezzar very angry. And it says, The form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I can imagine, uh, reading between the lines here a bit, these men had been set in their position by the king, so he knew them. These were not just unknown faces. He actually knew who these men were. And in verse um, 14 and 15, it seems like he gave them a second chance. The accusation was brought, he had them called, and he was already angry at that point. But it seems like he was willing at least to give them another chance. And so he explained it again. He said, just, you know, we might say, in case you missed it, I'll give you one more chance here. And their response then indicated that they didn't need a second chance. They already knew what what the choice was and where they stood. And so that made the king very angry because now he knew that this was no mistake. There, there was no, they're not changing their mind. They're going to continue to abide by what they had said earlier. And so he commanded the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Now, it was interesting, as I looked up that word want, it had the idea of, of a visual effect. So, the king wanted this furnace to look a lot hotter than it normally was. He intended it to be a lot hotter, and we can see from the whole story here that this was to make them a public example. He was intending that everyone should get the message. And so the furnace was heated. He commanded these mighty men to bind them up. So they bound up the men. And then they, the commandment was given. And these men came and threw, these men being the, uh, the mighty men of the army, they came and threw the three Hebrew men into the furnace. Now the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace was exceedingly hot, and it says the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there was no doubt in everyone's mind that this was a really hot furnace because only drawing nigh was enough to slay the men. It was so hot. But the men were cast into the furnace and then the king was very shocked to see that these men were not hurt, they were not burning, they were not perishing, but rather they were loose what had bound them was apparently 
burned off without any harm to them themselves, and so they were walking around in the fire. And then, to his astonishment, there was a fourth man in the fire. Now, if we think about the fact that here was a divine revelation of a heavenly being. It seems like it might have been a, well, there's a, there's a term for it, but a, an appearance of Jesus himself prior to his coming to the earth. In verse um, 28, Nebuchadnezzar speaking says, Who hath sent his angel? Now that's not really a point I'm wanting to dwell on necessarily, except that it is a divine being that was present here in the fire with them. And how it was that Nebuchadnezzar referred to him as the Son of God, it's not likely that he had seen any such uh, being before. But he was very shocked and very frightened, I believe, because he realized that this whole matter has been taken out of his hand. Now, if we think of this account as, as a parallel or even an example of how we should live today or what Christians might face in the end time, I would ask you, did the Son of God or this angel only show up after these men were in the fire? Or was he there all along? And I think we can conclude from the New Testament or Jesus, before he ascended up into heaven, he told his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So until the end of time, Christ can be there with his disciples. And the passage referred to, Jesus' words, Matthew ten nineteen. Uh, it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. If you're called before kings or whatever, and they shall deliver you up, it shall be given you in that same hour, and there is a Holy Spirit that dwells within you that can give you those words at the right time. And what I conclude, and I believe these, these three men are a good example of that confidence that God is with them. God is here. Whether they saw him or not was not, not the point. I believe that God gave a, a divine uh, revelation or window into what was happening by allowing Nebuchadnezzar and others to see this fourth man in the fire. But he was there all along. And... It was just that moment where he was revealed and they were allowed to see him and see what was behind the event here. It has some similarities to the time when Elijah was surrounded by the Syrian army and the servant of Elijah got up in the morning and he looks out over the wall and he sees the army all around the city and was distressed and came to Elijah and asked, what should we do? And he said, he prayed that the man's eyes would be open and he saw the chariots of fire in the mountains behind, completely surrounding. And so it is, in times of distress, we should just be confident that the Lord is with us. The Lord is here and he will see us through. So the king comes to the mouth of the furnace and calls to these men. He says, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. 
And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the amazing thing was there was no hurt on them. Their hair weren't even singed. And they didn't even have the smell of fire on them. They just just had no effect. None. Totally amazing. And then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Now if you have your Bibles there to turn back again to Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 39 it says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith. A good report. They had a testimony. They had a witness. All of these people, whether they lived or whether they died, they had a testimony of faith. They had a good report. God could say of them, well done, thou good and faithful steward. So here these three came out of the fire and the king had this testimony. It says, um, he was blessing God who had sent his angel, delivered his servants that trusted in him. he recognized that these men had trusted in their God. And if you have ever read accounts of men of faith down through the ages, even many who were actually put to death, sometimes by a terrible, tormenting death, even by fire, after they had died and perished in the fire, the people who witnessed it would testify that these were men of faith. They trusted in their God. And at times were even converted because of that testimony. Now certainly not all uh, were necessarily converted and, and maybe not all would have felt that these men had trusted their God. Or they might have said, well... Their God didn't deliver them. But time and again, you read down through history how the testimony, whether they lived or whether they died, was that these men trusted God and believed God. And note what it says here. And have changed the king's word. Um... I'm not exactly sure how to take that. It could be that they certainly didn't heed the king's word. They they did not obey what the king commanded. And nor was his penalty of any avail. It, It meant nothing. But note what he says next. And yielded their bodies... Yielded their bodies. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He recognized that these men were willing to die. They yielded their bodies. And there are so many passages in the New Testament. There's one in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 12, I believe it is, where... It talks about those who overcame, and it says they 
overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about us yielding our bodies as a living sacrifice. And Jesus admonished his disciples, Fear not them which kill the body, and then have no more that they can do unto you, but rather fear him which is able to cast both soul and body into hell. And over and over again, we're reminded that our body is just temporal, but that spirit and our soul, which is eternal, is what we need to guard and, and maintain in, in truth and in confidence. We should not sell our soul for the temporal things of this earth. And it is promised that we overcome by not loving our lives even unto death. So the testimony was very clear here, even to Nebuchadnezzar, where he says they yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. What a testimony. Are we willing in this day to live by those same principles that we will not love our lives even unto death, but our concern is that the name of the Lord be glorified. And whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Let's just bow our heads for a closing prayer here. Father, we thank you for this word, this example, this amazing example of these three men who loved not their lives unto death, were willing to yield their bodies, but would not uh, surrender their soul. They determined to stand true to their God. O oh Lord, may you give us that resolve. May we stand with them on that same assurance that whatever we might be faced with in the days to come, that we would uh, say whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So I pray that would be a, a, uh, a meaningful example for us that so we take to heart this, this account in the book of Daniel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.